With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The recently hired coach for Nebraska football has died, Bob Elliott. He passed away Saturday after a long battle with cancer. He was set to become an off-the-field defensive analyst for the Huskers this fall. Elliott spent 38 years as an assistant for several universities, including 11 years with the Iowa Hawkeyes. In a statement, Nebraska defensive coordinator Bob Diaco said, Coach Elliott has been a father figure and mentor to me for almost 30 years. During my life, I've met few people that possess the amount of toughness Coach Elliott had while also possessing the same amount of class. Well, I'm not putting any limits on my future, you know. Uh, the way I feel right now, I could go for a long time. I would like this to be the last place, and, uh, you know, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, I'd like to be here for 10 years. They may, you know, may have a, a cane and, and uh, crutches by then or whatever, but, but I, I feel really good right now, and, and uh, I'd like to see what we can do. I think we got a gem here. This guy's really, really been around the block of lots of football. Seen, seen it all. Love that, and he's a terrific guy. I think he'll be great with our players. His demeanor, his character, his class, it'll fit Nebraska really, really well. Um, this is a good get. Over the second July in a row, the Nebraska football program embarks some tragedy, as you heard it there. Uh, Nebraska uh, assist, former assistant coach and now analyst Bob Elliott passed away at the age of 64, uh, a 38-year coaching veteran, uh, as I bring in Robin Washington and Nate Klaus, a 38-year coaching veteran um, as a coordinator at places like Iowa and Kansas State and Iowa State and uh, spent a lot of time at Notre Dame as well. Um, you know, we hardly got to know Bob Elliott here at Nebraska, but the little that we did get to know him, you heard him um, there talk is one, really probably one of his last public interviews he did uh, was during spring practice. And he said he wanted to be here a long time. And um, that's how fast things turned. Bob Elliott was on the road recruiting for Nebraska as late as May. Um, and at that point, things turned. And here by early July, um, Bob Elliott passed away in hospice care with his family back in Iowa. Robin, um, you know, it, it's an interesting situation because he was really only here for a short while. I feel like this is more of an Iowa story, uh, but still somebody that had some impact on this Husker football program in just a short time. Well, definitely. I mean, clearly, you know, had a very short, uh, you know, time here. But in that short amount of time, um, you know, he it kind of shows just um, why he is so regarded and highly respected in this field that he was able to make the impact he did um, in such a short window. Um, you know, obviously uh, the players were, were still kind of getting to know him, but um, every interview you did with a defensive back um, after practice during the spring, um, they had nothing but rave reviews for him. Um, you know, they, they just praised his ability to be a teacher. And, you know, despite the, the age gap, you know, with, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids he was really able to connect with guys and teach in a way that they really responded to and um you know i think you you see more of a reflection of just you know how much he meant um to everyone he crossed paths with when you look you look at the reaction from former iowa players former notre dame players and maybe for, i'll 
more than anybody, um, Bob Diaco. I mean, that relationship there uh, was about as strong as it gets when it comes to the, you know the the college football coaching brotherhood. Uh, so you know, ser- seriously, a sad deal, um, and the fact that Nebraska has to go through something like this for the second year in a row, um, it just doesn't seem fair. Yeah, I mean, to me, the the two things that stand out about Bob Elliott were really the first two things that uh, uh, a current Notre Dame staff. Uh, assistant told me about him and, and, the, and one was that he's got a ton of energy and then he acts way more like a 40 year old uh, than he does a 64 year old and that he uh, connects very well with his players and then also that um, you know he's a terrific football mind and, and you could tell that from just talking with him that uh, that he had an awful lot of experience was very good at teaching uh, and connecting with these kids and um, and and really kind of you know I guess just love the game of football so uh, it, it's definitely a, a tough loss and uh, and what a fighter I mean this guy when you l- really dig into his his story and his path I mean this guy um, you know it, it went through an awful lot and and overcame an awful lot and and finally uh, finally succumbed to to the cancer. You're listening to the Husker Online Show as you remember the life of uh, Nebraska assistant and analyst Bob Elliott. Um, and, you know, guys, what I thought was really interesting is not only was he in line to be the successor to Hayden Fry before getting sick in 1998. I mean, he legitimately uh, probably had that job uh, before he had a withdrawal uh, because of his medical issues back then. And then Kirk Ferentz came into the fold. Bob Stoops is also in the mix for that job. Uh, I mean, that, that just really puts into perspective how well thought of he was. But even at Kansas State, when the Wildcats won the Big 12 title in 2003, Bill Snyder only lasted, I think, two more years after that. There was a thought that he could be Bill Snyder's successor at Kansas State as well uh, from a lot of Wildcat fans. So that's how highly regarded he is. I mean, he was almost overqualified to be just the safeties coach at Nebraska. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's too bad that obviously Nebraska and the players and the fan base here, um, they weren't able to really – you know, have Bob Elliott around here um, because he really wanted to finish his career at Nebraska. Yeah, one thing that really stood out to me was just the amount of insight he was able to give you in one short post-practice interview session. I mean, he just had a way of explaining things and going into detail and giving analysis on players uh, that really revealed a lot and kind of just informed us uh, as media members and um kind of through that through the fan base and um you know just just losing that i mean <laughs> that's certainly um you know a, a very small uh, issue in this but it's definitely you know something else that we're losing out on but um you know uh, like like you we've talked about a bunch of times i mean just um the, the credibility that he had um built up over the last almost four decades um and what he's been able to accomplish as a head coach it, it's going to be impossible to replace that that type of knowledge and um, for nebraska not to have that type of resource you know on the staff you know whether it's a full-time coaching position or an analyst role um, it's a loss no matter how how you chalk it up and this will also be the second july in a row uh, the husker football program has embarked on tragedy last year on july 22nd um, the husker football program and husker nation um, lost sam fultz in a tragic car accident in wisconsin and now this bob elliott thing i think obviously we'd all agree this is kind of a lesser impactful deal as far as how it will affect the current players um, I think if anything we, we discussed, this is more, it probably affects Bob Diaco as much as anybody, um, you know, because of, of their relationship. But still, um, I wrote this in my 3 2 1 this week. I don't remember a time ever where Nebraska has lost 
you know, this type of stuff in one year. I mean, the only player I can remember them losing before this was Brooke Barringer, and his career was technically over at that point. He was done at Nebraska. Uh, they've never lost a current coach like this either, and it's all happened in a year, which makes this a very unique situation. Yeah, losing current players and current coaches is different than, um, you know, having somebody, you know, that, that previously played or coached here. Uh, so it, it, it hits you a little bit differently. And yes, um, while, you know, Elliot was only here for a few short months and you know was just starting to get to know those players i mean there's there's no doubt there's going to be some form of toll um especially with just how recent you know the this team had to go through the sam fultz tragedy and, and i think there's guys that are still aren't over that and so to add you know having to go through this on top of that it's one more hurdle that this team has to face before fall camp even starts yeah i think it is um you know if anything this loss may even kind of drudge up some some of the feelings of of losing Sam last summer, and and uh, so if even that small aspect is is definitely something that uh, is is a storyline, unfortunately for for this team and for this coaching staff. We got a full show here on tap. Uh, in our next segment, we're going to hear from Tom Cakert of HawkeyeReport.com. He was very close to Bob Elliott from all his years in Iowa, and, and um, it's really almost more of an Iowa story. I, I wrote this, that he's more of the Charlie McBride, Milt Teneper to Iowa fans, as Bob Elliott had that kind of impact over his time there, um, if not greater, uh, because of his father, um, who, who hired Hayden Fry, who hired a lot of great Hawkeye coaches um, in his time uh, in Iowa City as the athletic director. Then we're going to discuss uh, Big Ten Media Days. We're getting closer to that. Nebraska selected their players. Uh, we're going to go through our top 40 Husker list. We began that ranking uh, breakdown. And then Nate Klaus will give us the latest on recruiting. That's all next in this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show as we've talked about the, the tragic death of uh, former Nebraska assistant coach um, and analyst Bobby Elliott, uh, but really more known for his time at Iowa, uh, where at one point he was looked at maybe as a successor uh, to Hayden Fry before um, getting his first uh, bout with cancer in 1998. We wanted to bring in um, one of our good friends from Iowa to talk more about Bobby Elliott and, and kind of the impact uh, we're bringing in here. Tom Cakehart, publisher of HawkeyeReport.com. Tom, uh, first of all, I know you knew Coach Elliott very well, and, and, and a lot of Iowa fans did. So uh, sorry for your loss of Coach Elliott because I know he meant a lot to the Hawkeye fans. Yeah, he, he really did. Um, you look at his family, his father, uh, Bump Elliott, who's, um, who was the athletic director until – 1991 and uh, you know Bump you look at his dad and what his dad did at the University of Iowa from uh, uh, you know over a 20-year span hired Hayden Fry hired Dan Gable hired Lou Olson Dr. Tom Davis C. Vivian Stringer I mean you look at how and you know that that's kind of the in a lot of ways a golden era for University of Iowa's athletic program, and it was because of uh, Bump Elliott and um, you know his his son, uh, obviously Bobby, uh, played at uh, Iowa City High School and was a star there. Played for the the Hawkeyes in the not so good era, and eventually got into coaching. Kind of paid his dues, bounced around a little bit, and then came to the University of Iowa, coached under uh, Coach Fry, and and uh, 
worked his way up to being the defensive coordinator. And, you know, we're sitting in 1998 and, you know, Hayden's getting, you know, his health is, is not as strong as it used to be. And uh, he decides to retire, but it's also at the same time where the the first brush with cancer comes for Bobby and um, has the uh, blood cancer uh, diagnosis and has to deal with that. And there are a lot of people, myself included, who thought that Bobby would be the odds-on favorite to be the next head coach following Coach Fry. And, you know, you had Bob Stoops' name out there as well, uh, obviously, and, you know, his links to the University of Iowa are also legendary. And um, Bobby had to take himself out. And Bob Bolsby was the athletic director at the time, and he went in and talked to uh, Mr. Bolsby and and uh, said that he would he couldn't be a candidate with his health. And, boy, you, you just wonder – if he would have been healthy, how different Iowa might have been, uh, you know, and it's worked out with Kirk Ferentz and it's been a really successful run for, for Kirk. And, um, you know, I was fortunate for that, but you always wonder what would have been different. How would it have been different if uh, Bobby wouldn't have gotten sick? We're talking here with Tom Caker, publisher of HawkeyeReport.com about the life of uh, Bobby Elliott, who coached at Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas State, Iowa State, he's really touched a lot of different programs, uh, Tom. And I think what's interesting, we talked about this when Bob was taken off the road back in May. Um, how fast did this turn? I mean, because this is a guy that was recruiting in the spring evaluation period in mid-May, and here we are um, in early July um, talking about his his funeral. I mean, it, it's really unbelievable um, how quick this turned on Bob Elliott. It is, and it just you know, it shows how what what a tough guy this guy was and what a survivor he was um, because he's had to battle this more than one occasion. I mean, you know, obviously this wasn't the first time um, he had it at Iowa, had the Notre Dame, uh, came back when he was at Iowa State, um, you know, had some battles there uh, with his health. And, and you could never tell based on his energy because every time – and you guys got to experience that when he came out there this spring – and then the winter when he was there, um, just a boundless level of energy and passion. And the players that play for him, you, you know, I've retweeted a lot of uh, former players and, um, you know, seen some reactions on Facebook from former players that uh, played under him that uh, revere him. And rightfully so, because he's just such a dynamic and engaging guy. I've got a really cool stat for you that the Iowa State sports information guy tweeted out. The, the Cyhawk game, the Iowa-Iowa State game, is the biggest game in the state and um, every year. And Bobby's been on both sides of that. He was you know, an assistant uh, for uh, Dan McCarney when he was uh, at Iowa State for several years. And in the games between Iowa and Iowa State that Bobby was the coach on that side, that team was 16 and two wow. in those games. So you just, you just, I mean, just speaks to his passion, his, um, you know, his his ability to get teams ready to play, and the success that he had in the, in that series. We're talking to Tom Cakehart as um, we reflect on the life of Bob Elliott, but also uh, we're, we're getting ourselves ready now here for the start of fall camp. Tom and uh, Big Ten Media Days here will start up on July 24th and 25th um, in Chicago. Is Iowa Monday or Tuesday? Iowa is on Monday. 
Monday, and uh, so they'll be day one. Nebraska's day two. Um, you know, what what are you kind of looking at as we get ready to go out to Chicago this this week? What what are you kind of looking at um, from the big storyline perspectives uh, for Iowa? You know, the the big storyline yesterday was obviously some of the guys that, that weren't going, and one of those guys that's not going to Chicago is Akram Wadley, Iowa's uh, leading rusher from last year, and you know, he gets some mention. I'm sure he'll be on like the Doak Walker list and all those different things. And he's obviously their top playmaker and uh, they're, he's kind of the biggest name on offense and uh, they're taking two other offensive guys. And he's a senior and Kirk Ferentz has traditionally taken basically all seniors. Josie Jewell is the first junior that ever uh, went uh, to big 10 media days under Kirk Ferentz that uh, during his tenure. So, um, and Josie's coming back this year, but he decided to take Sean Walsh, uh, an offensive guard, and uh, Matt Vandenberg, who's returning from uh, breaking his foot twice. So that became kind of a big story yesterday as we talked to Akram. But I, I think the big story is probably going to be Kirk, who's your starting quarterback. You know, he, they, they went left spring with uh, kind of a two-headed monster and no decision. So uh, I think that's probably the preeminent story going into Chicago and probably the story that'll be discussed most in Chicago. Yeah. I found it interesting too. You talk about guys not coming, um, uh, Barkley from Penn state, their quarterback McSorley and then JT Barrett. I mean, arguably the three leading candidates for big 10 offensive player of the year also will not be in Chicago. Yeah. And you probably, you might put Wadley fourth on that list of big 10 offensive player of the year candidates. Uh, and, None of those guys are going to be there, and it's almost like the starless uh, Big Ten media days. And, and I don't track it close enough to know what uh, the other schools are doing if they're not bringing their um, top, you know, senior guys or or most name recognized guys. But uh, boy, it just it, that really struck me yesterday, especially Penn State not bringing either Barkley or McSorley because those guys are, are, are legitimate. Uh, and, and, you know, Barrett, all those guys are legit Heisman candidates. I mean, they just really are. They're on probably the short list top 15 going into the year of Heisman candidates. Well, and think about this. I mean, it's so hard to get to state college. So for a lot of national guys, this is their one chance. Maybe they would have had to interview those guys in person uh, because you know how it is after a game. It's hard um, to sometimes yeah. get, get much of an interview. And, you know, during the week, I, Penn State was always very limited, kind of like Iowa, what they gave you. So this that was kind of usually your one chance to get some of those guys. Yeah, and, and I don't see a bunch of national media traipsing up to uh, State College to go to Penn State Football Media Day to get any time with these guys either. And, you know, it's just not the same as doing a, a, a phoner interview that maybe the Penn State media relations people could set up. It's just it's weird that the maybe maybe they'll change it and kind of squeeze some of the coaches a little bit more and say, hey, you got to bring the star power with you to to Chicago. We're highlighting this conference and we're selling this conference. But um, you know, sometimes coaches want to just reward guys for uh, being you know quiet team leaders and and bringing them and and highlight them, getting getting them that experience. But well, yeah, I think you always got to bring your stars. Mike Leach was probably the worst I've ever seen, though. When we were in the Big 12 at Texas Tech, he would literally 
go out of his way to bring random guys and leave like Michael Crabtree and his quarterback and all the studs back home and that you always get a similar deal to state college. You could, you couldn't really get to Lubbock very easily. So you wanted to get Michael Crabtree or, or his quarterbacks um, who whoever they were those years at big 12 media days. Yeah. It's just a nod decision, but uh, you know, we'll deal with it and, Get through those couple days and uh, and then get ready for the start of camp. Well, Tom, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Chicago. I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll grab a beer or catch up out there as well. But uh, thanks again here for joining us here on the Husker Online Show. Okay, thanks for having me on, Sean. All right, much more when we come back here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as we're getting closer to heading out to Chicago. Big Ten Media Days will take place on Monday, July 24th and Tuesday, July 25th at the McCormick Place in Chicago, the Hyatt Regency Hotel, where it's traditionally been almost every year. I think a couple years they moved it to a different location, but it's kind of the big convention center in Chicago and every Big Ten team uh, is allowed to bring three players to represent their program along with their head coach. Uh, Nebraska made their announcements here this past week. Uh, quarterback Tanner Lee, cornerback Chris Jones, and linebacker C- Chris Weber, um, the selections. And I don't think there's a surprise on Chris Jones. Um, I think Weber, you know, was not a wild card, but they could have went in a lot of different directions. He had some seniors like the Mornay Pearsonell, kicker Drew Brown, even Joshua Kalu could have been an option. But I think when you look at what this defense, guys, is going to look like under Bob Diaco, Chris Weber is going to be um, a huge part of it. I mean, somebody that they probably expect to have over 100 tackles this year. He's going to be the quarterback of that defense, and Bob Diaco even said as much this spring. I mean, he's the guy that's going to be making all the calls uh, pre-snap at the line, uh, making adjustments not only on the D-line with the linebackers, but also communicating with the safeties in the secondary. So there's going to be a lot on Chris Weber's plate, and if there's one guy on that defense that I think is more than capable of handling that responsibility, it's him. Um, he is an extremely bright player um, and pretty darn good football player as well. I mean, we saw in limited action, especially when Josh Banderas was hurt, um, he can make plays. He was kind of a tackle machine, registered double-digit tackles several times. Um, and so, I mean, like you said, Sean, I think that he's kind of one of those dark horse guys that could be in for a huge season, especially uh, when you look at 3-4 defenses, those middle linebackers just eat up tackles. Um, they got the D-line that kind of uh, take on the blocks and those linebackers run free and put up a whole bunch of tackle numbers. So Chris Weber is one of those guys that you know has a legitimate chance to reach triple double tackles when all said and done. Well, and the thing for me was you know kind of going back to last spring or even winter conditioning. Chris Weber was one of those eleven captains that that kind of ran winter conditioning and held held their own quote unquote team responsible for for their workouts and everything. So I think that kind of gave us a glimpse into some of the leaders on on this squad. And then after what we saw in the spring where Chris Weber became, like you said, Robin, the, the quarterback of that defense and, and a guy responsible for making all those calls. Um, you know, I think that it makes total sense that he's one of the the representatives that's going to be going to Chicago for Big Ten Media Days. Yeah, Weber doesn't necessarily have the size of a Josh Banderas. Maybe he's a step slower than a Josh Banderas, but he just tends to be in the right place, right time. And I think in a 3-4, um, kind of where he's going to be inside, playing kind of that inside read position, um, it's going to be a really good fit for his skill set. Yeah, and being having a nose for the football and football instincts uh, can take you a long way, especially at the linebacker position. And I'm not 
putting him anywhere near the same category as Levante David, but that was one of Levante David's biggest strengths is, you know, a lot of times he was not in the right place, uh, especially with the way the defense was working out, but he just had that playmaking ability to where he could recover and just go make a play. And I think Chris Weber kind of has that, that, uh, intangible to him to where you know not only is he going to be able to make plays but more often than not he's going to be in the right place and like I said that sets up pretty well for a big season you're listening here to the Husker online show as we get you ready for Big Ten media days and then the other announcement as far as who's going is Tanner Lee and you know this is something I, I thought about a lot um, over the last month I mean who will they take um, I, I I always said you know I thought Tanner Lee made sense to take because you named him the starting quarterback but he's yet to play a down at Nebraska um, so there are some coaches that maybe go the other way yeah we think he's going to be good but he hasn't played a down yet can he handle dealing with all of the reporters and questions despite the fact he really hasn't played yet at Nebraska well I think Tanner Lee's different I mean he's mentally mature you don't have to worry about the moment being too big for him. I think he's already proven how professional and classy he's going to be. And um, I really like the decision guys of, of Mike Riley uh, and having Tanner Lee represent this program, because let's be honest, if this thing is going to work, Tanner Lee is going to be the reason why. No doubt about it. And you got to tip your hat to Mike Riley for, for pulling the, the, the trigger on that one. Uh, you know, there's, he could have gone the safe route and like you said, brought a Drew Brown or, you know, some, some safe player, but um, this is a football staff that has done a lot to generate the hype train that is in full steam uh, behind Tanner Lee right now. And so if you're going to do that and make those comments publicly about how good you think this guy can be, you better, you know, put him in the spotlight. And I think the rest of the Big Ten is going to learn a lot about Tanner Lee as, you know, the, the media outlets from other teams and um, from around the conference are going to start looking up at it as to who this guy actually is. Because I still think outside of Nebraska, Tanner Lee's kind of an unknown and people are kind of you know, still labeling that quarterback position as a huge question mark for Nebraska when in, uh, people like us that have seen it, uh, you know, they, they feel a lot better about the, the future of the quarterback position here. So um, good on Nebraska for putting Tanner Lee out there. And like you said, Sean, I think he's going to handle himself beautifully. Um, he's, like you said, uh, wise beyond his, year, his years and uh, is going to be able to handle himself uh, in a really professional manner. Well, and that's the thing. I, I think you, you know exactly what you're going to get from Tanner Lee. It's not like, um, you know, he, he's yet to start a game at Nebraska but it's not like he doesn't have any experience handling the media or or being the guy and and you saw that um you know a little bit this past spring anytime that he was in front of the media you you got the sense okay the, this guy is experienced he's smart he knows how to handle himself and uh, he's definitely in control and I, I think that um you have to tip your hat with how the staff handled the quarterback competition this past spring and then when they did name him the starter they essentially handed the keys over to him and said, okay, you're you're the man now. And and I think uh, it would have been, you know, maybe contradicting yourself a little bit if you didn't send him uh, to Chicago to, to represent the team because he is the guy. I, I think he's he's been the, the guy this summer and and uh, um, you know now he's gonna be the guy in Chicago and, and for the rest of the season. Well and speaking of players not going to Chicago, arguably the four best offensive players in the Big Ten will not be there. JT Barrett 
who probably is the preseason offensive player of the year right now by a good margin. Uh, I wouldn't say good margin, but by most people's estimation, with Ohio State being a predicted playoff team by a lot of preseason polls, will not be there. I don't know the reasoning. He's been there before. Maybe they just said, let's bring in a new guy. Uh, then Penn State, um, Chase McSorley, their quarterback, um, who you know led them to a Big Ten title. And then their running back, uh, Barkley, who's a Heisman candidate, will not be there. And then Akram Wadley, Iowa's running back, who's a first-team All-Big Ten potential running back. Um, very interesting approach by other coaches in this league not to bring arguably four of the best players on offense to meet with the media. Yeah, with, with Ohio State, I think they're okay uh, just because, I mean, you're still bringing in, you know, an All-American in Taekwon <laughs> Lewis, uh, maybe the best center in college football in Billy Price, and, you know, one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten in Chris Worley. So, I mean, okay, people can probably deal with that. And like you said, JT Barrett, He's done a lot of interviews over the years, so I mean, I don't know how much more you're going to garner from him. Uh, but Penn State caught a lot of heat, and deservingly so, uh, for a program that you know wants to hype itself up as um, you know, obviously you're the returning Big Ten champs, and you're one of the one of the favorites uh, to win it again this year. To not bring your star quarterback, Trace McSorley, and your Heisman Trophy arguably front runner running back in Saquon Barkley, uh, that, that's not a good look. Um, yes, Marcus Allen, their safety is one of the better safeties in the conference. And Jason uh, Cabinda is, you know, a good linebacker, but they're not nearly at the level of either of those two guys. Those, those two players in McSorley and Barkley are the faces of your program. And if you're going to hide them for whatever reason, whatever your reasoning may be, I think it's, it's just dumb. And it kind of shows just kind of how weird this media event can be because sometimes coaches, uh, have a little bit too much uh, input on, on how things are handled. Well, and sometimes coaches, and I don't know if Nate, you agree or disagree, like James Franklin is some somewhat about himself at times. He likes the spotlight to be on him, and maybe yeah. this is a way to keep the spotlight on James Franklin over other than his two Heisman candidate players. Well, and that very well could be. I mean, I don't know if this is a case of Franklin overthinking things by you know trying to hide these guys or trying to you know take some pressure off of them or or whatever, or maybe he's just wanting more of the spotlight. I don't know. But if I'm Saquon Barkley, I'm kind of upset because what you want from your from your team, from your program, your school, is to kind of have someone backing you and 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 kind of you know hyping hyping that Heisman train and and kind of getting getting the ball rolling there. And and what better opportunity to do that than to go to Big Ten media days and and you know in every interview be, be have your head coach be bringing it up and and being able to to talk with the media yourself and, and you know kind of getting to know the media better um, you know for that Heisman for that push for the Heisman. So. Um, um, yeah, if I'm Barkley, I'm kind of upset about this move, to be honest with you. All right, well, well, plenty of media day talk uh, getting you ready in our next week's show, but I uh, just wanted to give you a taste of things to come as the, the players were announced here this past week. We come back, we're going to delve into our top 40 Husker list. Uh, we've got that uh, going this week as um, our first 20 players, players 21 to 40, uh, have all come out. We'll give you our thoughts on the list next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online show as we are getting closer to the start of fall camp. Nebraska opens practice up on Sunday, July 30th. Uh, that will be, I believe, guys, the earliest fall camp ever. I, I don't recall fall camp ever starting in July. Um, it's, you know, with this new rule, you get 29 practices. Well, about two days, that means you actually have to practice 29 days um, in the past. 
you had 29 practices over a four-week period. Now it's going to be a five-week period because the uh, the two-a-days were eliminated. So we have started our kind of preparation and coverage, Robin, a little bit earlier than normal, and we kicked off our top 40 Husker list as we rank um, in order, and, and we let the interns in on this. I don't know if that was a mistake, Robin, um, <laughs> but we did let the interns in um, on the rankings this year along with Greg Peterson all of our crew that is at practice every day. That was kind of my uh, guideline. I, I want the guys on our staff that are there every day around the players, around the coaches. Uh, so we top 40 Husker lists. We're going to do 21 through 40. Let's go through our first quadrant or pod here of five players. Yeah, and so it's funny you mentioned the interns because first on our list is uh, Javion McQuitty, a true freshman wide receiver who really only made this list because um, intern Matt had him ranked 33rd overall and intern David had him 36 overall. Uh, you, Nate, and myself did not rank him at all. but he Greg? Was, he was, Greg got him at 39th, so just made the cut on Greg's list. Uh, so... Um, by the skin of his teeth, he makes number 40 on our list. And, Interns. But, you know, I mean, there's probably something to it. I mean, with the receiver position being the way it is and kind of it being up for grabs and a guy that was here this spring, uh, he's got a shot. Uh, and I think he will rotate in, in in some form. Um, so he, he will have an impact and isn't totally out of the question of being 40th. Then number 39, uh, Matt Farniak on the offensive line. Yeah, uh, yeah, Farniak, um, you know, he was a guy that, you know, just made your list at 40th overall. I didn't have him ranked. Nate had him at 34th. And then Greg, Matt, and David all had him at 38th. So kind of one of those guys that fit in um, pretty consensus with the voting. And um, if anything happens at tackle, I mean, that depth is really thin, and he will have a chance to play either on the right side or left side if, if some sort of injury were to occur. Then you got Bo Wilson at 38, Antonio Reed at 37, and Luke McNitt at 36. So that's our our bottom five. And, you know, I think when you look at that list, I mean, it's a pretty solid bottom five. I mean, Luke McNitt's going to be a starter and, and a key player on this team. He's a well-respected guy at fullback. Antonio Reed might be the starting dime this year. Bo Wilson's still battling with um, – Tanner Farmer yep. right now for a guard position and Farniak, as you mentioned, is a play away and McQuitty's a wild card at receiver, but that's actually not a bad bottom five, Nate, when you look at it. No, it's really not. And I think I want to say in past years, you know, the bottom five were either comprised all of walk-ons or of <laughs> incoming freshmen, um, you know, and, and us kind of placing a lot of expectations on on guys who are going to have to step up and play right away. So I think that's an indication that the talent level, the overall depth, is, is getting better on this team. Robin, what do you got next for the, the next five players? Yeah, with 35 through 31, um, 35th on our list was Kean Williams. And um, Nate, I want you to chime in on this one because you were far and away the highest on him. Uh, you had him 22nd overall. Sean had him 33rd, Adam 39th, Greg 36th, David 37th, and Matt didn't rank him at all. So uh, give your reasoning why Kean Williams is number 22 on your list. Well, I, f I mean, first and foremost, he's the son of a coach. Uh, I, I think he probably knows the offense – as good as anybody knows the position as good as anybody and I think he's going to be uh, a big impact guy at that slot receiver position here and, and you're going to have uh, Stanley Morgan Jr. and, and DeMornay Pearsonell on the outside with him at that slot position I, I think that he is going to be a guy that that has a lot of production there uh, and again that knows that spot as well as anybody on the team. Yeah, next up on the list, two true freshmen again. Um, 34 was DeAndre Thomas, the freshman defense 
defensive tackle. Uh, and then Avery Roberts, the true freshman linebacker who really made a splash this spring. Um, both those guys came in um, pretty much consensus uh, at those spots on our voting. And um, I think you could make a case, strong case for both of those guys playing right away, Sean. Yeah, I think DeAndre Thomas for sure plays at one of those defensive end spots. I don't know if he's going to be on Freedom or Carlos Davis's side, but um, I think he's going to be a player. And then Avery Roberts, in my opinion, is going to be groomed to succeed Chris Weber. Um, where after Chris Weber kind of gets it done this year, he plays a lot of special teams and gets some, you know, quality reps. I, I really think Avery Roberts will be poised to be a sophomore starter in this program and play a lot as a true freshman. Well, then at 31 and 30, uh, actually, sorry, it's a tie for 31 overall between two wide receivers, uh, J.D. Spielman and Brian Reimers. And, um, you know, that was kind of a mixed bag there. Uh, you know, Greg didn't rank Brian Reimers at all. Um, Lincoln you know, East guy, Greg didn't rank the Lincoln so East hating. guy. I, I, and, you know, I had him at 28th overall. So Matt, was, what did Matt have him at? Matt had him at 25th, by far the highest. So the, the East bias definitely came into play there. <laughs> They're like classmates or one year apart, maybe? or Yeah, uh, something like that. I know they're friends, but, and then Spielman, kind of the same deal. You know, Nate, you didn't rank him at all. And I oversight. Think, I, yeah, I think myself. you, you clarified that it was just kind of a, a Percocet induced oversight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, there were a lot of those. I mean, I, I forgot, um, Luke Gifford and I had to put him back yeah, in. I yeah. Mean, so it's, it's one of those deals when you get all those names together, mm-hmm. sometimes guys get left out. So totally understandable. Um, I had Spielman at 31st, Sean, you have him at 38th, um, Greg 33rd, Matt 31st, and then David had him all the way up at 24th. So, um, clearly a wide range of votes there um, for two wide receivers that I think uh, are going to have to play a role, whether it be strictly at wide receiver or also on special teams with, with Spielman. Yeah, Spielman is is one of the harder guys for me to read because I really think he could be much better than that, but I just look at the other receivers they have. I mean, Stanley Morgan, DeMornay Pearsonell, and then the Tyjon Lindsay factor, Keon Williams, um, where is he going to factor in? How many touches can they get him? Can he get all-purpose touches? And I think that will be his role more often than not where jet sweeps, mm-hmm. kick returns. Um, they'll find ways to get him the ball, Nate. Yeah, they have to. Um, I, he was one of the guys that impressed the most on the scout team last year. I think he turned a lot of heads um, you know, on a weekly basis last year, obviously. I think he was maybe co-MVP on the offense last year uh, along with Tanner Lee or something like that. But, um, yeah, he's going to be a guy. They're, they're going to have to find a way to, to get the ball in his hands, especially in the open field, whether it be on special teams or, or drawing up uh, plays on offense. Well, moving on uh, to the, the group of 26 through 30, um, another kind of uh, varying vote getter uh, comes in number 30, Michael Decker, the center. Um, you know, Nate, you didn't vote for him at all. I had him at 40th, so he just made the cut on my list. Sean, you had him at 27th. David had him at 23rd. So, um, you know, clearly some varying opinions there. And I guess, uh, you know, maybe I'll start off. Uh, I, I just with uh, he had an opportunity this spring to lock that center job up and just didn't do it uh, to the point where Cole Conrad got moved in from tackle to center. And right now, if I were to guess, I'm putting Cole Conrad as your starting center. So um, a disappointing uh, spring for Michael Decker, all things considered. I wouldn't call it disappointing, though. I think he made a lot of physical gains, and it's just a matter still of getting the best five guys. And Cole Conrad was a starter last year. Um, there are five guys that started on the line last year, and those five guys will be starting right now if you put Conrad at the center. So it's just a matter of you've got a veteran. But, yeah, Decker, um, he is a wild card because he is a play away from being on the field uh, because if another injury happened at tackle, Cole Conrad could move back, back out to tackle. And I think that's what they really want him to be is kind of that versatility Swiss oh, yeah. Army knife um, that can – 
anytime there's any kind of movement, you can move Cole Conrad anywhere. That's what he was last year. He was the starting tackle, top backup tackle, uh, not a number two center, and uh, probably would have worked in at guard too. But um, next up is another tie uh, for 28th uh, between punter Caleb Lightborn and linebacker Marcus Newby. And, you know, Lightborn was kind of an interesting guy. Um, you know, David had him at 40th, I had him at 35th, and then Sean and Nate, you had him at 26th and 27th. And Marcus Newby uh, also, you know, he was kind of a, a little bit more in the pack where he was in the uh, as high as 16th and as low as 23rd. Yeah, Newby's one of those steady guys. He's felt like he's been here for about 10 years, and um, how he transitions in this 3-4 would be very interesting. <laughs> And last up, you know, Muhammad Berry uh, came in at number 27. And then 26 was Mikhail Wilbon, our, so our first running back out of that three-headed trio. Uh, with with Wilbon, I think he's going to have a chance to make plays. Obviously, a lot of competition with Trey Bryant, Devino Zigbo ahead of him. And then Muhammad Berry really blossomed this spring. And I think he's going to benefit as much as anyone in that move to the 3-4 defense. Yeah, and he's a guy, for me, I think, um, you know, with the noise that he made at the end of spring last year, uh, I think he falls perfectly right on this list and at the end of the year if you were going to re-rank these guys he could be a guy that even uh, deserves to be a little higher all right run out of time here so we got to move along through 25 through 21 25th was divina zigbo he was a guy that you know sean you had him 30th nate and i we had him in 18th so um, a lot of unknowns around what his role is actually going to be and then 24th was luke gifford uh, a guy that you know like muhammad barry i think has thrived in this 3-4 defense and there's a chance that he could uh, pass marcus newby up for that starting outside linebacker job um, especially with the big spring he had 23rd was khalil davis uh, you know obviously he, he's fact turn in uh, behind Mick Stoltenberg at that nose tackle spot and um, you know with Nick's mix uh, injury history I think he's got a chance to play um, quite a bit this year um, and we'll rotate in regardless and then our highest true freshman on the list Tyjon Lindsay checks in at number 22 overall uh, the heralded wide receiver um, basically made the top 25 or top 26 in everybody's votes and intern Matt had him all the way up at number 11 overall. Oh, I thought big baller David had him higher. Nope David had him at 26 so okay. Matt, Matt is all about Tyjon Lindsay and uh, 21, David Neville, uh, starting right tackle, who um, you know had a decent spring, but you know he's going to have to continue to play well um, and finally live up to the hype that we've been waiting for him to to show uh, over the past four years. Yeah, Nate, as we wrap it up, your thoughts on Tyjon Lindsay at 22? Uh, I mean, it looks like he's going to basically be right with the Mornay personnel at, at that one receiver, and you know, assuming Stanley Morgan is suspended for maybe one game. We don't know that, but that's kind of the thought process. He could get a real opportunity week one, um, you know, just with the receiver situation. Yeah, I think he's going to have plenty of opportunities to see the field early and often, and and he's a dynamic player. I mean, he, this kid is different, and, and I think that he's probably – I mean, you can make an argument that he's the most dynamic player that Nebraska's brought in in quite some time. So uh, he's going to make his presence felt early and often this season. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift the talk back over to recruiting. When Buki talks, people listen. Nate Klaus has more uh, from Buki as he said some very interesting things this week to us in our uh, three and out recruiting column. That's next here as we wrap the show up. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we are talking some Husker recruiting and the opening now in the books. It's kind of the coach's period, though, Nate. 
uh, where things are still dead. When when can schools go back to hosting camp uh, visitors on campus? I think it's this this coming weekend is when you know things really will will pick up again with recruiting when kids can start um, you know taking visits again and, and coaches and colleges can host uh, unofficial visitors on their campus and whatnot. So I mean it is a little bit of a dead period. Uh, there's obviously still a lot of recruiting that happens. You know communication between prospects, Twitter, and whatever, yeah. yeah, through Twitter or texting or whatever, but uh, just no in-person contact as far as unofficial visits go. So, um, and it is, it's a good little break for recruits. And obviously it's a good, nice little break for the coaches who, I mean, really, this is the only probably two week stretch of the year that they really uh, can spend time with their families and, and kind of, uh, it's the Florida timeshare rule. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> where you kick your feet up a little bit and, and go, go uh, visit your own timeshare in Florida or, or uh, visit someone else's that's in the coaching community. You're listening here to the Oscar online show. As we talk Husker recruiting storylines, Nate, the opening took place uh, in Oregon. It's Nike's uh, big recruiting event and, you know, both rivals um, and Adidas and then Nike um, have their showcase events. Obviously the opening has been around now for, I believe 10 years or around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of Husker targets, recruits, commits were there. It was probably, as big of a Husker flavor as we've ever seen. What was some of the best stuff you heard that came out of the opening? Yeah, there's no question. This is the most, I think, uh, you know, the biggest opening in terms of having commits there. Nebraska had three, and Buki Radley-Hiles, Chase Williams, um, and Joshua Moore. And uh, and then there was probably about another 20 to 25 like legitimate targets that were at the opening. Obviously, Nebraska is not going to get all those guys or, or, or even half of those guys probably, but there's a good number uh, of – of players that um, are very high on Nebraska's board and that are very high on Nebraska. But I think the storylines, the major storylines that come out of the opening were, uh, I think you have to start with Buki. Um, You know, he won the DB MVP of the entire camp. Obviously he was the, the DB MVP of the, the Orlando Nike camp, which is where he earned his ticket to the opening. And then he went to the opening and all he did was make plays um, you know, in in every session, he was the playmaker. Um, I, he had he was a turnover machine. Um, and he recorded, I think, seven interceptions throughout the I think the four day or three day seven on seven tournament that they had, and he took a number of those back for touchdowns, which you just don't see very often in seven on seven. Um, so I mean, he was um, he was a guy. If you asked any wide receiver that was at that camp, you know who who the best cornerback was. Uh, Buki was either the first or second guy that that they would tell you about. So, um, and and all he does is make plays. I mean, this kid is the total package on and off the field. And I think that um, every camp he's been to, he's kind of validated that that he is a, a special, special prospect. Uh, from there, you know, I, I think as far as uncommitted players, um, you know, some of the bigger news to come out of it was uh, Micah Parsons, who says he's going to be taking an official visit to Nebraska. He's just coming off the the heels of a unofficial visit to Nebraska for the Friday Night Lights camp, the final Friday Night Lights camp that Nebraska hosted in, in June he was here for. And uh, and for Nebraska to get him back on campus for an official visit in the fall, I think is big news because uh, I think a lot of people, after he decommitted from Penn State, kind of penciled him in as an Ohio State lean. I still think he probably is an Ohio State lean, but Nebraska's made up some serious ground here and and, uh, and don't underestimate the, the Buki factor in terms of being 
a, a pure recruiter. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss recruiting storylines here as uh, fall camp about to begin. Nate, I know there was some talk of possibly uh, some July visits and maybe even some July fireworks here later on. Uh, what's the latest you can share on maybe visitors coming on campus and maybe some potential commits happening? Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, I mean, Buki, from what Buki has told us, there are several silent commitments. Uh, he said you could count them on on two hands. So got at least, a, and if you believe that, it's at least um, uh, six silent commits. So, I mean, I think that's pretty eye-popping to hear. Uh, and no one probably would know more about it than than Buki outside of the coaches, obviously. So, um, you know, and if you're going to point towards any of those kids uh, that could potentially be a silent commit or, or could be pulling the trigger here soon, I think it would be Christian Tut would be, you know, number one on my list at least. Uh, he was at the Friday Night Lights camp. He's a four-star cornerback out of uh, Georgia. Uh, has told us that he's planning on making a return trip towards the end of July and that he's going to be bringing his whole family, including his grandmother, out to to Lincoln uh, so that they can see things for himself because when he visited for Friday Night Lights, he came by himself for, for that weekend or for those couple of days that he was there. Uh, and then he had to leave kind of early to get back for a wedding that was taking place. And that's why his parents couldn't come on a trip with him initially. So um, usually when a kid flies halfway across the country twice in a matter of about a month or a month and a month and a half, uh, and he's bringing his grandmother uh, with him, I think that's a pretty good sign. They're not just coming to get the prime rib at Misty's. Exactly. I think that's a pretty good sign that uh, that Nebraska's the leader and, and probably uh, will be wrapping this thing up sooner than later. And then, uh, of course, uh, four-star defensive end Judge Culpepper has told us that he's planning on visiting uh, at the end of July, but I wouldn't hold my breath on that Um and same thing with JT Daniels, who's arguably the number one quarterback for the 2019 class out of California. He, he's the superstar out of modern day high school there in Santa Ana, California. And, and both he and Culpepper have told us that they're planning on visiting in, in late July. But um, I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode on, on both those trips at this point. But I think for sure Tut is is the guy to really keep an eye on going forward. What here. about Houston Griffin? Um, I know he plans on taking his trips, but do you have any idea when he could come back to Lincoln? Well, he's definitely coming back to Lincoln. Um, he has not set a date. You know, Houston, he, the way that he likes to do things typically is just kind of show up on campus. He, he keeps he keeps his trips, for the most part, pretty close to the vest um, and, and doesn't really tip his hand with uh, with a whole lot of information regarding his trips or or who his actual leader is right now but um, you know reading the tea leaves I think Nebraska is in great position here um, now the thing is is that he and his father have been to Lincoln twice now uh, and his mother is yet to visit so the key here I think for Nebraska going forward is to get him back on campus um, and they, have, they have relatives in Omaha correct correct so there's some connections here and obviously he and Buki are, are teammates at IMG Academy um, and, and I think that Nebraska's got a lot of momentum going for themselves here. And, and I think that as soon as they get mother on campus, uh, that could really swing things in a big way uh, towards towards the Huskers. Well, and for the secondary, they can really sell the playing time factor when Chris Jones and Joshua Kalu are seniors. Kyron Williams is a senior. Uh, I mean, there's just so much opportunity right now 
uh, for Nebraska um, in the secondary for playing time. There is, and and he's a versatile player. I mean, he could play, he could legitimately legitimately play cornerback or safety. Uh, I think that he would fit in best as a safety at Nebraska. But um, but all these guys that Nebraska are targeting, they they can play multiple positions in the back end of that defense. Um, and and I think that the the relationship that he's built with uh, Dante Williams. Uh, combined with the growing relationship that he has with Bob Diaco are, are two major factors to really keep in mind here. And finally, as we wrap it up here with Nate Klaus on the Husker Online Show, what about wide receiver Cameron Brown? He came back for the uh, Friday Night Lights in the Big Red Weekend um, at the end of June. It really looked promising at that time. Uh, what's the latest you can share on Cameron Brown? Yeah, and, and this is an interesting situation because you know typically when you have a commitment that that backs off of that pledge, uh, you, you know you don't see them head back to that school. But I'm getting the sense that Nebraska is a very real player for Cameron Brown, just like he has said that they are, um, and that he could be you know wrapping this thing up sooner than later. I think that he wants to maybe have a decision done before his season gets started. So uh, that's something that I would pay close attention to here over the next month month and a half is is uh you know if if Cameron Brown kind of jumps back on board with the Huskers and and I think that that's a very real possibility of happening all right well lots to follow make sure you are on huskeronline.com as uh, we will keep you updated on everything you want to follow here as we get ready for Big Ten media days to start a fall camp and obviously recruiting Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 